Okay, so this morning, um, we're going to talk about new default. Everybody say default. It's kind of a weird word. We don't use it a lot. Um, so I'm going to do my best to communicate clearly to you. And if I just totally blow it, I want you to, if you have the sheet, I want you to write three words at the top. If you, I'd like for you to remember more, but if you can only remember three words... If you don't have a sheet, it's because we ran out. I'm sorry. But you can remember these three words, okay? If you've got a pen, just write it down. Here they are. Change your default. Change your default. Now, we're going to take a little bit this morning, a little bit of time, just to kind of kind of try to unpack what we mean by that okay and and it's possible I'm giving you permission right now to get lost some of you are like I was lost after the first of those three words are you kidding me um, if you get lost a little bit it's okay if you got a pen I want you to write this number down 704 322 1366 that's this phone and you feel free to text me. Help. I'm lost. If you got a question, text it to me. Um, if it's a good one, I'll read it. If it's not, I'll ignore it. If you, uh, during the week, you are studying the, if you go online and you get the notes and you're studying it and you're like, I still don't know what that means. And you go to community group on Wednesday night and you ask the people in the homes, what does this mean? And they're looking at you like, we don't know either. I'm glad you asked then all of you collectively get out your cell phones and send a text to that number and say, Paul, nice try. We don't understand. What does it mean? And I'll text you back with the number of somebody wiser to text. All right, so here we go. Let's try to break this down a little bit. Um, number one is what's a default. So uh, y'all ever watch um, Sesame Street growing up? This episode was brought to you by the number... Two or the letter Q or whatever. Was that? Are you saying yes, you watched it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You still watch it. I still love how they put words together, you know? It's like, bean, ache, bake, da-da. Anyway, sorry. Wow. Snuffleupagus. Um, okay. What is a default? This is a part of the message that's kind of brought to you by Webster's, all right? I, I did not want to make you write down the entire definition, so I'm going to read it to you. You just fill in the blanks that you have. Um, let's get a, de a definition, what we mean by default. It can be a verb. This is not on your sheet. It can be a verb. So when you hear somebody say, you defaulted on a loan, it, it means, of course, financially you didn't pay it back. But basically, if you boil that verb all the way down, it just means you failed, okay? So, um, and I thought about it. But it would have taken us in the wrong direction, and I would have been, my ADD would have kicked in. I, I was going to put so many pictures, because I love, like, the phrase epic fail, right? And I love to watch, you know, there's a whole website just dedicated to fail, and you just see these great pictures, but we would never have gotten off that, because who's lost already? Yeah, that was Parker. It's my son. Pray for him. Um, but we're not going to talk about the verb. We're going to talk about the noun, okay? So here we go. Two definitions. Specifically, here's what it means. A particular setting or value for a variable that is assigned automatically by an operating system and remains in effect unless canceled or overridden by the operator. 
I'm expecting lots of text after that. Unless canceled or overridden by the operator. Second part of that, second definition says, a situation or condition that is obtained in the absence of active intervention. Lots of question marks there. Thank you for that text. So the point of it is this. I just want you to understand what default means so we can start unpacking it. Because if, if I'm going to tell you to change your default and you don't know what it means, you're getting nothing out of this message, okay? So you ever heard of a default switch? Um, if you go to um, Google, you have default settings. Um, these are just things that automatically happen, and they always stay that way unless something happens to change it. Okay, so what's our default? Now you can get your Bibles out. Turn to Numbers chapter 13. What is our default? Man has a default. You have default beliefs, and you have default behaviors. In Numbers 13, um, we read the story about the spies going out to look in the promised land, and they come back and give a report. And so some of them come back, two of them come back and say, man, it's a great land, we should go take it, God wants to give it to us, and let's do it. But all the other spies came back and they said, what's in verse 33? Basically it says this, we looked like grasshoppers in their eyes. That's, that's mankind's default belief. That's an example of a default belief. We think that we're like grasshoppers, and so they must think that we're like grasshoppers too. The grasshopper syndrome. How they saw themselves affected how they thought that others saw them too. Default means this is how we will believe if nothing ever happens to change it. So from the day that you were born, this is how you typically will believe. Default behaviors. We don't like to talk about those because they're not usually pretty. Default behaviors means these are the things that we would probably do unless something happens to change them. So here's some verses. Just write these down. Default behaviors. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Colossians 3. Verses, verse 5 and verse 8. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 6. And 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Let's just turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21 says this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, that's a big word, idolatry, wickedness, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are, that's an example of default behaviors. Now, we read that list, and if we're honest, we go, no, nah, I've never done stuff like that. I mean, I, I can barely even pronounce debauchery. I'm sure I've never done debauchery, right? I've never done witchcraft. Anybody going to admit to that this morning? If we give the altar call right now, thank you, Amanda does. She's like, I've been there. 
Um, if we gave the altar call this morning, um, if you've been doing witchcraft in your home, just come on down here. And No, we, we read that list, and automatically we would say, I would never do stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is, unless there's something that happens to change our default, that is how we act. We talk about this all the time. Boil those, all those sins down to one word, and the one word is me. I'm the sinner. I'm the person. I do what I want. I'm immoral sexually because I want what I want. I, I'm going to participate in witchcraft because I, um, I want to take control of all the powers and make them do what I want them to do. You make me mad, so I'm going to put a spell on you. See, we, we don't, just, don't just negate it because it sounds weird. These are what we do all on our own. We don't need any help. Um, when, I was, when I was much younger and stupider, um, my nephew was two years old, and he was um, touching stuff and crying, and I was babysitting, and he was really getting on my nerves. And I said to him out loud, quit being such a baby. And then I realized I was telling basically a baby to quit being a baby. Have you ever had somebody that does stuff that just gets on your nerves? They whine. They're drama queens. Um, they're mean to you all the time. And you want them to change, but suddenly you, it dawns on you they don't know Jesus. And so that, what are they doing? They're just doing what they do. These are things that we naturally do. These are the default behaviors. Fill in your own. Fill in your own default behavior. When, let's use Jan. You get fired. What's the normal default belief when you get fired? Oh, God. How am I going to pay for X, Y, Z and all the other stuff? What am I going to do now? I'm, I'm stuck. I'm hopeless. What is the default behavior? I am going to be mad at that boss for the rest of my life. I'm going to talk about them. Those are the default behaviors. Those are the default beliefs. And what God wants to do is start to change those. We have to admit this one thing. We have defaults that are not pretty. We go to the wrong place automatically. Wendy was telling me, she texted me this morning. She said, I defaulted this morning. And I thought, I didn't know what that meant. She got here and said, what do you mean you defaulted? And she did what all of you have done. She's just driving along, she's talking, she's singing, and suddenly she realized that she's in a place where she wasn't intending to go. Because she's just driving along, she just kind of by default went where she normally goes when she goes that direction. I've done it all the time. I mean to go to the grocery store and I end up at, you know, the post office. And I'm going, why am I here? I wasn't thinking, I was just driving. By default, you went that way. That's what we're talking about, okay? And we have default beliefs and we have default behaviors. Oh, this will be a great read. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 21. We just read it. I want you to hear it from the Message Bible. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, 
I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. That's brutal. That's brutal. And the temptation is to read that and say, but I'm a Christian. And if that were true, then people like George Barna would not do studies and find that Christians are just as sinful and worldly as non-Christians. Being a Christian doesn't make that stuff go away automatically. These are the default behaviors. So here's the question. Can we change our default? Can our default be changed? Um, reminder about the definition, okay, of default. It means this. The part that says, unless it's canceled or overridden by the operator. The second one said, unless if it's in the absence of active intervention. So the question is, has there ever been any intervention to change our default? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six, verse eleven says this. Oh, we're reading depressing stuff anyway. Let's read all the way from verse one. Here's what it says. I'll explain it as we go along so you don't get lost. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges every man of little account in the, in the church. I say this to shame you. It is, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. First six verses, let's just wrap that up in a nutshell. He's saying to them, do you really have to get your way? Seriously? If Paul could, if that, that, maybe that's in the Greek. Seriously? Do you have to get your way? So much so that you're going to take a brother to court in front of unbelievers? Default behavior. I'm going to get what's mine. And he's writing to Christians. Okay, so let's just go ahead and say it. This junk is in the church. These beliefs and attitudes are in us. We really do want our way. And he's writing, he says, I, if I could shame you, I would. You're going to do this in front of unbelievers? Verse 7 says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely, completely defeated already. This is a guest speaker who's not coming back to the church, right? I mean, he gets up in front of these believers and says, look, the fact that you're living like you're living says that you're not only defeated, you're completely defeated. Are you kidding me? You're going to sue each other in front of unbelievers? When I was youth pastoring, I would have kids come to me and they'd say, I just can't get my friends to come to youth group. And I would say, I know you shouldn't say this kind of stuff. I say, well, I know why. And they go, oh, tell me, tell me why. I said, because when you ask them, they just laugh at you because you're no different than they are. So why would they come? had a man tell my wife one time, the only difference, and he wasn't a Christian, he said the only difference between me and a Christian is I keep 10% more of my money. Because this stuff's in the church. 
We still want our agenda, our way, our rights. We serve a Savior who laid it all down, but we want our way. And I'm pretty sure, it's like, think about that insanity. Jesus laid his life down, his rights down, to serve, not to be served. And then we convince ourselves that that same Savior really wants us to have our stuff. It just doesn't go together. And that's why Paul says, are you kidding me? You're going to take this? You've completely defeated, you're completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Verse 8, instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers. Verse, verse 9, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Verse 11 says, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The definition of default means it stays in effect unless it's canceled or overridden by the operator. Unless there is active intervention. And there is the active intervention. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. I mean, those are powerful words. I know the person next to you smells bad right now because it's hot in here. But the Bible says they were washed. It's only used two times in the New Testament. It means to wash off or away. It puts to rest the belief that you have to be clean before you come to Jesus. This is what he does when you come to him. You come nasty, dirty, smelly. And he cleans you up. You were washed. You were sanctified. It means to separate from so that you can turn to. You were justified. It literally means to render righteous or render someone the way they should be. How should we be in right standing with God through Jesus? We don't have to live under the default. We can actually change our default because there's been active intervention. Jesus Christ did that for us. He's the operator, and he just stepped in. I don't know enough about computers to do this stuff, but there's like default switches all the time. And if the person knows how that computer's made, they can just flip a little switch, and boom, new default. goes in a different direction. And Jesus did that for you. He did that for me. He's changed our default. John 14, 6 says that he is the way. He leads to life, not to death. Um, just jot down Colossians 2.14. I just thought this was interesting. The definition of default means, it says that it's in effect until it's either canceled or overridden. And Colossians 2.14 says that Jesus canceled the written code against us. He did what we could never have done. When you feel powerless, have you ever prayed the same prayer like a million times? God, last time when I told you I was going to stop, I really meant it. And this time when I'm telling you I'm going to stop, I really mean it too. And next time when I say it, I'm going to really mean it then too. And it's for the exact same thing. I mean, sin can make us feel powerless. But Jesus steps in, actively intervenes on our behalf, and he changes that default. So... The fourth 
question is, how do we protect the new default? How do we protect the new default? And here's the short answer. We go to war. And we fight for it. Now, this is where you have to punch the person next to you. Punch them. Go ahead. A lot of kids were really taking advantage just then. They were hitting their parents. He, Pastor said to do it. Bam! It's time to go to war. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Second Corinthians 10, 5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's just unpack that verse real quick and then we're going to wrap this thing up. The place that you protect the new default is right up here. God help us all, right? Oh no, we have to use our minds. It's right up here. This is where the battle is. The battle, um, hey, gentlemen that can't get off porn on the computer, the battle is not below your belt. This is where the battle is. A woman that can't stop gossiping. I don't know why we always do the male-female thing there because I guess both sexes could do both of those things. But it's not here. It's here. This is where the battle is. We take captive every thought. So here's three words in that verse. One, it says we demolish. It's the same Greek word. It means just to take down, to pull down. It's the same word that described how they took Jesus off the cross. What I want you to understand is this. They didn't stand there at the foot of the cross and go, all right, come on down. We're waiting. Just fall body. No, they had to climb up there, pull the nails out put them over their shoulders. They had to take him down to um, a lazy American culture. We hate this stuff because this actually involves effort. You can't call and have this delivered takeout. You got to cook it. You have to work. You have to actually take something down. He said, we demolish every thought. It's an action word. The roots for the word mean take and choose. And so the action follows a choice. You can want it all day long, but if you don't make an action about it, it's never going to happen. We demolish every argument. The word for argument in the Greek is an interesting word. It literally means that it deals with facts and truth, not speculation. Now, I want you to write this down if you've got a pen, okay? I want you to write this down. This is good stuff. Satan's greatest tool against Christians is not a lie. It is the truth about your past. Satan doesn't throw up stuff that you know not, that you know isn't true. He throws up the truth about your past. When we read that long list of things in Corinthians, what did Paul say? And that's what some of you were. He didn't say, oh, just don't worry about a lot of stuff. You never did that. You were nicer than that. He said, no, that's what you were. Satan doesn't remind you about what you never did. He reminds you about what you did. His greatest tool against you is the truth about your past. When I was, um, here's how thoughts work. When I was in high school, 
I was attending First Assembly, and we were meeting down in the center theater over here, and we were going to do a youth Sunday. And so for Youth Sunday, somebody in the church got a bunch of us together, all these teenagers, and they were going to have us sing some song. And I was just, you know, hanging out there and had never really sung before. And they're taking volunteers about, you know, well, who wants to do this part and that part? And I was kind of on the outs because I didn't have a, you know, I just wasn't in the musical artistic kind of flow of things. But there was this one part I thought I could do it. And I was, I was, I said, hey, I, I'd love to sing that part. And the person in charge, I mean, without even thinking about it, they just said this, you sing? Yeah, no, you don't have a good voice. And so I didn't sing, I mean loud. Um, I did sing, but not a solo. But I want to tell you something. As the years went on, every church I ever was a part of, I ended up leading worship. And every Sunday, as I sat at the piano, I didn't hear God. I heard that. That's how your mind works. I couldn't say, well, that's not true, because it probably was true. Maybe I didn't sing good back then. And they definitely said it to me. Satan reminds you about the truth about your past. And so what do we do with those thoughts? We take them captive. More action on our part. Um, any guys here, it's like you love guy movies, like war movies, guns, the more guns, the better, the bigger explosion, the better. This is, this is like a guy verse right here. Women don't do good sometimes with taking captive. They're like, do you mind coming with me, please? We're just going to go over this way. Can I get you some tea while you're waiting? Uh, this is a guy verse. Now, you take it captive. I'm going to kick your butt. Get out. That's, that's a guy thing, man. Dads are all over that. Because kids are like, my dad's like that. When he's really tired. Go to bed. I'm not tired. Go to bed anyway. I'm tired. You know, it's like, that's, we're all about like forcing our, st- our weight, or throwing out there, forcing our weight around the whole deal. This is a guy verse. Take it captive. Don't mess around with it. Don't negotiate with it. You just take it captive. How many thoughts, every thought, that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God? Let's try to land this thing. The three words that I want you to remember were what? Change your default. Here's what it means. If you're not a believer, and if you're not a believer and you're here, you've never decided to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, we're glad you're here. We love having you. It's nice to have honest people in the house. But here's what it means. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 both say the same thing. It says this. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end of that way is death. It means you can do the best you can. You can try to be better. You can try for a week or two to not do the bad things and only do the good things, but eventually you will go back to your default. And we read the default. It's not good. And what it is is the default for unbelievers is that you're first, always. You feed yourself first. You get the big scoop of mashed potatoes before you pass it down the table. You look out for number one. That's just the default of man without God. And if you're here and you're not a believer, I don't care how you try to dress it up. 
Eventually, your life goes back to that setting. That's your default. If you're here and you are a believer, it means that Jesus reset your default. But he woke up an enemy that has only one shot against you now. And the shot he has against you is right up here. This is the battlefield. You're a believer. You cannot afford to have a lazy mind. Now, does that mean you have to take master-level courses? No. It may mean that tomorrow you start G90X again. Or you just read a, verse, a chapter every day in the Bible. I will say this about G90X. If you're doing the whole Bible, today you finish up Deuteronomy, and there will be a shout all around the city. Because we were talking about this earlier. Finally, we're going to be through with all the, the you shall not and do this and whatever and blood and junk and all it's, Finally, tomorrow, we start the men books. You know, the war and, like, people stabbing people. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. Quiet time tomorrow is going to be like, good stuff. You can't be lazy. Because when Satan fills your mind with true thoughts about the past, you have got to latch on to the first sentence of 1 Corinthians 6.11. That's what some of you were. I know some of you. Some of you know me. We read that list and go, that's what some of us were. And we go, yeah, I was there. I remember that. I was there the night that you did that. Mm -hmm. But it's what you were. We're, We've been hammering this for the last three weeks about forgetting what's behind you and pressing on to what's ahead. So yesterday, I go down and I run this half marathon in Charleston. Got a really cool medal. I ran it with Jason Gardner. Um, who ran the marathon, so his medal's a lot bigger. And so I get this medal, and here's how my race went. Because I've run, I think this might be my fifth half marathon. Now, I'm not the most fast guy in the world, but my best time ever for a half marathon, I think, is 149.35 approximately. Um, which is moving. It's like under, you know, it's like 8:45 minute miles. And so I, I've been, you know, running for like three and a half, almost four years. But this past year was a horrible running year. I took three months off. Just never felt good. And so Jason's like, "Hey, I'm running the marathon. Why don't you come down and run the first half of it with me?" You know, a month and a half, two months ago, it sounded like a great idea. But ever, ever run since then, I've been like, I don't think I need to go do that. So I get down there, and sure enough, I said, look, the plan is, Jason, I'm going to run with you as long as I can. And then whenever I can't, you just take off. And I'm thinking, you know, mile eight, mile nine, when we split, I'll just get there with him. At mile two and a half. (laughs) As we were flying along, moving pretty quickly, and he was talking, and I was dying. I I just, I said, Jason, um... You just, you need to go on. And he's like, no, we're good. We're not, you know, it's, it's, we're not even really trying hard. I feel good right now. I was like, no, no, trust me. You need to go on and let me die here among my brothers, you know. And so he just took off and he went and did the marathon. It was great. And I just had a good time, you know. Well, I didn't have a good time. I, I just took my time going through, you know, downtown Charleston and enjoying all the, the sights and sounds and grunts. And the whole time, and just to make a long story short, I finished with a 220, which is not bad. I mean, I did it, you know, but it's 32 minutes slower than what I know I have done in the past. And I want to be very honest with you. I want to be transparent. I want you to understand how what we're talking about here works in the real world. 
okay? Because it's just theory, right? Until it works in the real world. The whole 13.1 miles, I battled in my mind. Forget the body, forget the legs. It was all in the mind. Because all I kept hearing was, you're not a runner. You used to be a runner. You used to run faster than this. You've gotten really, you're really out of shape. That's, it just kept playing over, over in my mind. And what I want you to understand is this. The journey is the deal. Because when it was all said and done, I finally, about mile 10 or 11, out loud said, okay, I get it. I did used to be faster. But shut up. Because today I'm running a half marathon. And when I cross the line, guess what I'm going to get? A medal. Going to go add it to my collection. And on the back of this medal, it doesn't say what my time was. Thank goodness. All this says is, I did it. Period. You're running a race. You have a fight to fight up here. And at some point, it's really okay to say out loud, um, Satan, one, you're stupid. And two, you're not telling me anything I didn't already know. Because I lived my past. Do you remember? I was there. And that's what I was. But let me tell you what I am now. What I am now is I'm somebody starting again. I'm somebody that's going to go again. I'm going to cross the finish line. Because Jesus has not made it easy for me. But he has given me the power to choose to do it. Sometimes the worst thing that Christians do, and this is why Christians get lazy, is they believe that just because I said yes to Jesus, if it gets hard up in my mind, then something's wrong with me. Mm -mm. No, it's hard in your mind because you said yes to Jesus. He doesn't make it easy. He just gives you the power to choose. And that's the great thing about being a Christian. It's now that we're believers, we actually can make a choice. Your friends that aren't believers, they don't have a choice. Like they act like a jerk and you can look at them and go... It's kind of all you got. You're a jerk. I love you, but you're a jerk. That's why Christians boycotting the world is stupid. Would you please quit acting like a sinner? No, because that's what they are. They're sinning. But when you come to Jesus and he flips the switch, when he changes your default, you get a choice. So quit being lazy and make one. Stop waiting on me to make the choice for you. Get your Bible out. Find the verses that speak truth about who you are now and learn them. There's no, there's no other way. You want to change your mind? Read it. It's got good stuff in there. Read it. Learn it. Know it. And change your default. So that when the bad stuff comes and you think of stuff up here and you know, okay, that can't be true. Say that. That's not who I am anymore. When somebody says, um, man, this is the worst too. You ever heard somebody say, and I thought you were a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You ever heard that? All right. Let's unpack that one. Because don't you just want to punch them in the face? But you know they're going to use it against you. You can't do that. Like, Bam! And they get and go, and you thought you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> it just makes it worse. You can't punch them in the face. 
But you know what you can do? Take to heart what they said. There could be a reason that they said it. You just went off on them with more beeps than, you know, a rated R movie. And they're like, and I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> this might be a reason they're asking you that question. But if there's not, you know, I am a Christian. And, and you're, you're remembering what I was. But here's who I am now. When Jan went into her boss's office and said, I forgive you, do you know that the jaw just bang, hit the floor? Nobody expects to hear that. That's the kind of stuff that makes the world take notice of the church. They take notice of Christians and they start to say, what has happened to you? Because you should be punching me in the face. And you're forgiving me. And that's when Christians get to rise up and say, I'm as shocked as you. But Jesus has flipped a switch and he's changing my default. And I'm fighting the battle so I can think differently and act differently. Change your default. Now here's how we're going to end today. Specifically, I have a lot of compassion for those of you who are experiencing spiritually what I experienced yesterday in Charleston. Um, I know that there's, there could be some of you here that don't know Jesus. You've never chosen to give your life to him and surrender your, your life to him. And I, I want to give you the chance to do that. But specifically, I want to pray for those of you here who have started again. Maybe the last three weeks, the last month, the last half of a year have been hard. And you're starting again. And just like me running that race yesterday, all you can think about is how much easier this used to be. How much closer I used to feel to Jesus. And now it just feels like work. I want to pray that God gives you the, the discipline to keep working at it. To not quit. To not compare what you were with who you are now. Today is the beginning. It's a fresh start. And there are some of you in this place and that's where you are right now. I just want to see your hands. That's you. I want to, I'm starting fresh. I need encouragement from Jesus. Just keep your hand up. I appreciate it. That's honest. And here's how we're going to end. We're just going to pray for you, okay? Um, if you're cool, if you just raise your hand, do you mind just standing where you are? You don't have to come up here to the front. Just stand up where you are because people are going to come in they're going to pray with you. All right? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but you will actually have to stand. It requires effort. There you go. Now, gathering. Some of you, you know how these people are feeling. And you've been there. Uh, by the way, I can relate to every single one of you because <laughs> yesterday I was like... <gasps> It's hard to live what you're living. It's hard spiritually and emotionally to be where you are. But the hardest thing is to quit. Just to give up. That's not what God desires for any of you. The best thing is when people run up beside you. I told, them, told some people yesterday, the, what saved me at mile 11. I'll never meet these people. They took pictures. I'll never see them. Was I ran, I ran up on a group of men and women wearing pink tutus. And they were stopping on the bridge to take a picture at mile 11. And I just ran up and said, I'll take it. You go ahead and get in there. So that last person could get in the group picture. And they were like, oh, that's so nice of you. And I was like, really, it's okay. Anything for a break. You know, I'm cool. And so I took their picture. And then they just went on and said, they hollered back, well, we'll take another one at mile 12. And so when they got to mile 12, sure enough, they got together. And they were like, where's our photographer? 
And I just went running up to them and, hey, come on, come on, come on. Took, their another, took a picture and then I ran with them to the end. Let me tell you something. God will provide people in pink tutus for you. <laughs> he will. And spiritually, man, that is a breath of fresh air. When you're where you are and you're struggling and you're doing the right thing and it just feels like work. At some point, somebody's going to come running up alongside you. And they're going to put their hand on your shoulder and you're going to go, oh, I can do this. I can change my default. Now this morning it's going to feel like this. Some people are going to actually come and stand next to you and they're going to put their hand on your shoulder. And they're not going to date you or ask your number or anything like that. They're just going to put their hand on your shoulder and we're going to pray for you, okay? Because it's good to not be alone when you're dying, isn't it? If nothing else, bring the stretcher and carry me, right? So I want you guys gathering. I want you to go and, and get with some people and let's pray. Let's close this morning praying.